Good morning and welcome to the Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and I will be your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a business is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where Everything HR comes in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. And this complimentary podcast is designed to provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, we will provide you with information that you'll be able to utilize. And this morning is no exception. Today we have with us James M. the fourth. He's an attorney with Morton Hauser Roth, and we're going to provide you with information today regarding HR analytics from a legal perspective. And so without further ado, I want to turn it over to James and allow James to tell us a little bit about his background and professionally, and then tell us a little bit about his firm. Welcome, James. Well, thank you, Felicia. I'm happy to be here, and good morning to everyone. As she said, I am James Reed IV, and the fifth is at home. My son is six, and so the pressure is off for me there. And my law firm is a full-service law firm with about 100 employees headquartered in Michigan, and we're part of a law firm alliance that has a pre-approved law firm in 40 of the 50 states. And my position is I, I chair our corporate and employment legal department, and uh, we're a full-service firm, and it can handle any type of tax, corporate, business, or litigation need. And so now for and James, for you, do you handle the employment law division there, or that, that portion or side of the, the organization that you work in? Yeah, so I handle the entire employment law division. And I would be hands-on actively uh, strategizing and getting dirty, handling any type of unemployment benefits hearing, any type of discrimination claim, workplace investigation, wage and hour audit, any updates to legal documents, and various types of management and executive training. Awesome. Is there anything in reference to you being able to uh, assist if someone has like their own attorney, but they may be a business attorney. How do you guys, how does that relationship work? I consider myself uh, someone that plays well in the sandbox and I don't consider uh, helping somebody with a employment issue being a, a marriage where you have to use me or my firm for estate plans and everything else under the sun. I, I think, you know, some people have, better specialty and strengths in certain areas. And my main focus is on the front end, the preventative side. So uh, ideally, I have a lot of experience in resolving issues before they explode. And that might be an area where you can just have a quick phone call and evaluate if uh, I have the solution. Awesome. Now, is there anything, is, are there any advantages to actually having like an employment attorney. Obviously, having that specialty, as you mentioned, benefits an employee.
employer over just having a, a business attorney that may be a little bit broad because the, the laws and structure are a little bit different. And so when you're talking to an, a, you know, an employer, do you go through and explain the difference to them so that they can make sure that they have someone that's a specialty when it comes to employment law? Yeah, I'm happy to do more one-on-one, -on -one, you know, a free phone call. The first phone call is obviously always free to explain that, but I think the hardest part is, as you identified, is getting business owners and sometimes corporate counsel to understand all the minutia of employment laws and how they all overlap. And if you aren't practicing employment law full-time in this day and age, you really can't dabble in this area. There's too many overlapping laws with federal laws, state laws, local laws, and even the laws that are in the books overlap with each other. And I think it carries a lot more weight in the community where if you have an employment attorney that knows all the other employment attorneys uh, across the country, it makes it a lot easier to resolve matters and have a specialist that can spot the issues. From my experience, if you were a business attorney, you wouldn't be able to necessarily see all of the issues or be able to identify all of the potential solutions to a problem. Awesome. Awesome. So now with that being said, let's dive into our topic, which is HR analytics from a, a legal perspective. Obviously, as you know, organizations and, and we look or monitor HR analytics, it's, it's, it's important for us from a strategic planning standpoint. But talk to us about how you know, HR analytics from a legal perspective. Yeah, so the most important kind of hot topic right now across America is a concept called big data, big data. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are gathering their data through various software and trying to generate reports to learn from these reports and make changes. One example, I was meeting with a CFO for breakfast earlier this week, and he, he essentially cut $10,000 out of the company's training budget, but realized although they may have saved $10,000 one year and reduced training costs, they actually lost $75,000 because there was all these additional mistakes happening and less productivity and other issues that were causing additional damages. So in that scenario, the company reevaluated and decided to double their training budget and spend 20,000 going forward so that they can overall save more money. So typically human resources is viewed by most companies as a cost. You know, people cost money. It's just wasted expenses. It's not really making any company money. That's kind of been the perspective for a lot of companies. And I think if we analyze a lot of this data, if you have, you know, everything HR or really good human resource or employment attorney helping you identify and resolve issues earlier on, you can actually increase productivity by as high as 50% and improve morale and help the company make more money. You can hire, you know, half as many bodies and be just as productive. I think that's one major benefit of the data, but going on the other side, plaintiff attorneys that represent individuals love data because they use it to try to prove illegal discrimination cases. It's more rare in this day and age for an employer to fire someone solely because of their race or their religion or their age. And they're usually not that blatant. They would just say, 
it's not working out, it's at will employment, you're terminated. And then the plaintiff attorney will find the data, analyze the numbers and say, how come, you know, ever since you've been on board manager, everyone you fired has always been a woman or always been this race or this religion. And through the data, attorneys are essentially alleging and proving, in some cases, a, a form of sy systematic discrimination. And there could also be a disparate impact. So maybe you have a neutral policy, but as a result of this neutral policy, it has this impact of discriminating against a certain protected class. So with this data, um, people are able to have a more educated discussion and try to remove any type of unconscious bias, because unconscious bias is just as illegal as intentional discrimination under the law. Correct, correct, correct. And so have you seen that this data, you, you started out stating that the CFO um, saw that obviously the, the cutting of the training budget um, which we know training is usually the first thing to go anytime that anybody foresees or there are any economic changes. That's usually the first thing to go. For them to notice that it actually interrupted productivity, um, did he say anything about making sure that they have a certain amount um, there within a training budget going forward or, you know, on there regardless of, of economic, I guess, climates that we might be in or cycles? Yeah, you know, some of my companies have broken it down, like the amount of money you want to invest on a per employee basis to make sure they have, you know, the full training and education. But essentially what they're doing is just a one-time, once-a-year training is not enough anymore. So what people are doing is doing an initial, the onboarding process is not just one day. Most companies are learning that onboarding can happen for up to two to three years. So we need to have a plan to kind of continue growing and educating our employees and not only give them the annual training, but also make a video for employees that maybe missed that training so they could still watch it. And I would also highly recommend doing hypotheticals, factual kind of scenarios that happen at work and divide into teams and break out and analyze how to navigate through those issues. And in addition to improving everyone's skill set, you'll also be able to build teamwork and, and teach each other how to communicate and work together. Uh, another example is it's, it's hard to expect someone to read a 50-page handbook. I highly recommend there needs to be a, a webinar or a video that kind of summarizes at least how to use the handbook. You know, give people a table of contents and explain to them how to look for, for key things. I'm a big fan of what's called train the trainer. I'm not here to yeah. lecture just to basically have it go in one ear and out the other. I'm trying to give the audience a new skill set to go back to their own office and implement change and audit their own processes and essentially have be more valuable to the organization. Now, do you recommend if there if you have an employer that they're looking on taking on a new recruit? What are your sentiments on actually giving that particular, you know, candidate the handbook ahead of time so that they can kind of look at it along with they're going to do an offer letter or something so that they get to know the culture of it so they have a little bit more time because obviously we all know just giving them the handbook at orientation and looking for them to just have that receipt that they received it 
that means nothing in this day and time because we know that they're not going to read it. I 100% agree. Yeah, what are your sentiments giving that to them ahead of time so they really have the time to look through it prior to the orientation? You know, this is during the, the hiring phase or the paperwork phase so that they have it right there. I am a big fan of having transparency and based on studies, Marcus Buckingham said the two most important things employees need is one, what are the rules and expectations of them? And then two, are they able to utilize their strengths? So if earlier in the process, if you could give somebody not only the handbook, but maybe, you know, uh, some type of token of your culture or your colors or give them some type of, you know, coffee mug or just something at home to kind of start getting a vibe and a feeling of the culture of the organization, it really makes them feel more committed and invested in the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so for those that, and then have them to bring back that handbook that they received to the orientation, and like you say, you know, one of the things that we try to do um, for those that we become their HR department is during every little meeting, just pick something in that handbook to actually just review. Because we know that, and, and keep note of who is attending the meetings and what you covered so that if an issue ever come about that you're actually able to say, hey, we review our handbook on a regular basis, you know, and, and this is our attendance sheet so that we get in the habit of, you know, not documenting things but also get in the habit of letting everyone know what your expectations are, letting everyone know what are your policies, what are your procedures. And if there's any updates and anybody has any questions, you're, they're able to ask them right there within that group setting. And so along those lines, when we're talking about HR analytics, how have, and I know you mentioned that they've used that from the standpoint of having documentation regarding the demographics. Have they used it any other way um, that you've seen? And that, you know, what ways will be, can be used to really help protect the employer? Yeah, so if you were to update your handbook and do a training or provide a sexual harassment training or basically legal update training, how to spot issues and communicate, after each one of these trainings, I would generate a certificate that identified the training that you completed and put that certificate in every employee's personnel file. Because the first question asked by any plaintiff attorney or Equal Employment Opportunity Commission investigator is what training did the alleged you know, bad actor have? And if you say none, that's going to highly motivate that investigator to come into your company and interview way more people and take a deeper dive analyzing what happened because if the employee had no training, they're going to assume the worst that they didn't know what they were doing and likely violated laws. Now, do you guys there do trainings um, that go in and do trainings for companies and organizations um, there to their employee base? Do you guys offer that? Yeah, I have about 20 topics that are provide training to companies, and most of the time, companies have me tailor the topics to the actual culture of the company. So I would actually go in and maybe ask the HR director or CEO, what are the pain points of your company? And then 
create some realistic hypotheticals to try to educate the audience of how to spot the issues, resolve conflicts, work better together and comply with the law. And at times, sometimes it's the CEO or president that is the one that has a bad management style or isn't seeing all the issues, maybe trying to hug everybody or being too abrupt and expecting more out of people that don't have kids or the men versus the women and treating people differently or being too empathetic and talking about people's outside lives and worrying about the stress of their outside life and having a bias of how that impacts the workplace. So I'll come in and also educate the business owners because a lot of business owners are amazing at selling their product or they have a special skill set, but they're not always the most uh, trained person on how to manage people and be aware of all the employment issues. That is very true. Very, very true and very, very common, regardless of the size of the organization uh, when it comes to that. What about, do you have any pushback from HR people or business owners when it's come, it comes to HR analytics and tracking those? Well, you know, whenever you, you create more work for someone in HR or a business owner, that's never a fun process initially. You know, um, being a business owner, as you mentioned in your introduction, you have to wear a lot of hats. You know, you're a salesperson, you're a business person, you're a people person, you're dealing with all the, you're a counselor, you're a therapist, you're a shrink, you're essentially practicing law and HR consulting all in one. And I think when you bring on an outside party to, do, to provide work or training, I think the key is to make sure that person is creating less work for you. So what I like to do is rather have you have the pressure of deciding whether or not to terminate somebody you could just call me and I would go over the hypothetical with you and explain that I would also bless that decision to terminate. I also agree with it. And I'm aware of several cases that have already analyzed the same issue and the employer won in all three of these cases, or I would say, no, the employer lost in two of these cases. Let's discuss how our fact pattern is different so that when we make the decision, we'll have a slam dunk defense. If anyone brings a, claim of discrimination. And so um, from the analytics side, what other type of analytics besides the the demographic portion? Um, Is it important to to track the, you know, I know your layoffs, we can track from there or your, uh, obviously your turnover portion that's on there. Are there any legal aspects to any of those uh, analytics? when it comes to, you know, HR? Yeah, so number one, all analytics are discoverable if there was ever litigation. So in order to get ahead of litigation or ahead of potential liabilities, we should definitely be looking at our turnover ratios and figuring out how much it costs us each time that we have to replace someone that either leaves voluntarily or that is laid off And if we're having a high turnover ratio at our company, we want to step back and figure out why. Is it because we're not developing our employees? We're putting them in a dead-end job. There's no ability to advance. Is it because we're not providing, you know, enough technology to allow them to utilize their strengths and skill set? Are we not giving them opportunities to be mentored and 
communicate and hear their voice. So these are all things you have to take into account through big data. Uh, another hot issue with the data is pay. So for the first time ever, on September 30th of this year, the EEO-1 is requiring companies, you know, 50 or more employees that have federal contracts or 100 or more companies, regardless of federal contracts, have to break down the rate of pay based on race, ethnicity, and gender. And I think while we're looking at pay discrepancies for similar positions, now is a great time, even if we're a smaller company, I would recommend looking at it and saying, if we showed our books, you know, to someone trying to represent an employee, would it pass the smell test? Does it look like that we're just asking a woman how much money she made at her last job and giving her a 5% raise to get her on board, but it turns out all the men are making 20% more than her uh, for no reason other than uh, the, the female wasn't as good of a negotiator or her previous employer may have been discriminating, and we just continued that discrimination by giving only a 5% raise. Well, do you guys, do you guys actually will come in if someone wanted to have, you know, an, an audit done of their, their wages? Do you guys actually do that? Yes, we specialize in coming in and reviewing all of your onboarding documents and how you're paying everybody and help you spot the issues and help you evaluate what would be a red flag, a yellow flag, and where you're already green and can focus on your strengths. And that's a pretty quick and fast process. At least spotting the issues usually only takes an hour or two. It's more how to fix the issues after they're spotted. So the best part about having a sophisticated employment attorney come in is kind of like a dentist. They can look at your mouth for one second and tell if you're good to go or not. It's very similar for employment attorneys. I can do a quick kind of audit overview and see where there may need to be a deeper dive. And it's way, very efficient and cost effective. At, at what point do you recommend an audit? Well, it's always cheaper to have an audit before an outside party's auditing you. So I would recommend that you do it uh, at least every two years. And there's laws that change yearly. So hopefully if you have an employment attorney, they would educate you whenever there's a significant legal update that would impact your business. But at a minimum, you would want your docs documents audited every two years for multiple reasons. Uh, one, uh, certain words that used to be acceptable are no longer acceptable or certain provisions that used to be legal are no longer legal based on case law updates and amendments to laws every year. And I think that the if you have illegal provisions in your documents or outdated provisions, let's pretend you still are calling people handicappers instead of a, a disability, that would be discriminatory on its face. Or if you still have provisions in your handbook about using a pager, it's so outdated that it's not going to have any credibility or, or carry any legal weight. Now, I, I know that you and I both know of, you know, individuals and companies that go online and they try to do a cut-and-paste job of putting together their policies and procedures and handbooks and all of that stuff. What, or try to find someone within their same, their same industry and kind of copy that. 
from a legal perspective, what kind of, I guess, danger are they putting themselves in by doing that? I see a lot of danger in doing that. That's why I kind of initiated my trainings. You have to tailor your trainings and your documents. Otherwise, they're worthless because you're not going to be following your documents to a T if you're just copying and pasting from a, a competitor or another company. You probably aren't even aware of what the documents say. So when you try to enforce one of your policies, one, uh, the employee can defend it saying, well, you never followed all the procedures that managers were supposed to follow either. So you waive, you know, your right to enforce those provisions. And two, I've seen so many companies get in trouble by binding themselves to laws that wouldn't be applicable to their business. So let's say that you were under 100 employees and you represented you were going to do this EEO1 data analysis. Well, now you have to take on this extra burden. Or what if you're giving somebody Family Medical Leave Act rights when you have less than 50 employees? So it often has these federal laws in there that may not apply to your size of company and vice versa. You're likely missing the local laws of your state and your city that would be applicable. And if that other company didn't have the most up-to-date, you know, handbook, now you're, you're essentially inheriting all their liabilities as well. That is so true, and we see that so often. And in fact, those that try to not enlist a professional such as yourself or myself, they don't even know when the laws actually changed or what they're even required for within their own industry. And making certain that that's covered, there they just adopt someone else's or this one, this person just had theirs done, so you know what, I'm just going to adopt theirs and just copy copy and paste it all together, not knowing what they're tying themselves to and basically just saying, I'll never get caught. It'll never happen to me. And I am quite sure you've seen that a thousand times, if not more, and it happens to them. And as you stated that, you know, they've now tied themselves to something that they don't want to tie themselves to, or they basically have said that they were going to uh, do something that they have to end up giving up their rights for something. And in the end, that hurts them, which in turn hurts the business. So and to avoid that, would you recommend that they at least have their handbook reviewed um, by a professional such as yourself on a yearly basis? I think that it would be, it's always, I would say, up to 50 times cheaper to have something fixed before there's a lawsuit or claims. Because the biggest problem with employment claims is if you have a violation, it's not like you have 100 employees that all do completely unrelated things. We're all employees. So if one person identifies an issue, that same issue probably applies to just about everyone in your organization. So now you could have 100 employees in your company sue you. Wow. And I think... Wow. And I think we need, we need to evaluate protections. Most companies don't even realize the protections that are available and if, or whether or not they even have them. So just to give you an example is one, how many on this call know whether or not they have employment practices liability insurance? That, that's something where it would cover your legal bill and your actual uh, out-of-pocket costs for various discrimination claims. 
less your deductible. And uh, our firm's on the approved list of many major carriers and could could handle those through insurance. But most uh, most corporate and business attorneys don't even know to ask the client to check with their insurance agent to see if they have that insurance. So that's one quick way where an employment attorney could save you thousands of dollars. Another way is by auditing your documents, I could add a provision in that waives a class action. So instead of you having 100 employees that sue you for some small amount, I can add a provision in their job application or in their handbook acknowledgement or employment agreement that says they waive class action rights, they'll sue individually, they'll bring all claims within 180 days instead of up to six years for a breach of contract, they'll agree to private arbitration instead of going to a jury trial where likely not a bunch of CEOs. And by having a private arbitration, you minimize your social media damages. And I think that's where the data analytics comes back into play because we all heard about United Airlines having an employee that roughed up a passenger. While there could be a lawsuit for that passenger suing the employee, the company actually lost a billion dollars the next day because of the stock value loss. So when you see things on the news and going viral, you know, we need to also have a a disaster plan in place. Do we have a social media company that can help us give a statement? Do we have documents of who can speak on behalf of the company or who needs to communicate with who, you know, when there is a serious legal issue? That is so true. And for those of you that may not have the Employer Protection Liability Insurance, I know we've done a previous podcast um, talking about that. Uh, One of the branches of our company is the Everything HR Financial Services. We do offer um, the Employee Protection Liability Insurance. It's a very uh, inexpensive policy um, rider. They're on your insurance, and so we carry a number of different providers, as as James alluded to, there for you. And so that's probably one of the primary things that you want to have because, Anyone is subject there to be sued, whether it's it's a legitimate claim or illegitimate claim. You want to make sure that you have that coverage um, to protect your organization. And so, as James stated, that is one of the primary protections as a business owner or for organization. You want to make certain that you do have. Um, James, we've come to the halfway point there of our show. And so briefly, uh, we'll do a brief recap there for those that may have joined us late. And so uh, we'll just tell you, just give us a little brief about your background again and about your law firm. Sure. So I'm James Reed. I'm an employment attorney at Maddenhauser in Michigan. I'm also the incoming director-elect of Michigan Society of Human Resource Management. So I'm very active across the country and being up to date on all the employment laws and HR trends. And uh, my firm is a full service law firm that has a approved law firm alliance firm in 40 of the 50 states across the country. And my individual specialty is preventative employment law. So I try to come in in advance, audit your processes, audit your onboarding documents, provide training, spot issues and fix things in advance of a lawsuit. Whenever there's a lawsuit, even if you win, no one's happy when you have to spend all this money going to court 
and wasting a lot of time and energy and resources uh, defending claims. Over 97% of lawsuits never make it to trial, and over 90% of discrimination claims end up uh, never making it to trial. And uh, frankly, over 90% of discrimination claims never even make it through the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They find in over 90% of the cases that there was no evidence of discrimination. And I think that that is a, a misleading number because many companies settle along the way. But uh, basically what I do is employment law. I, I call myself the Ray Donovan. I Call me. I'll make the problem go away. I'll deal with the stresses so you can focus on what you're good at and making your company money. And I can focus what I'm good at, which is making these discrimination or workforce problems go away and improve. And our firm is also a full service firm. So if there were other needs you would need, I gave work to over 50 attorneys last year and could uh, tell you whenever there's a, a specialist such as ERISA or tax or any type of unique niche. Awesome. Awesome. And now when it comes to the HR analytics, you have mentioned about the demographics. Want to do a quick recap of that? Yeah. So just a quick recap. 100% of people engage in discrimination. And when I say that, I don't mean illegal discrimination. We all have to pick who is more valuable to the company, who should get paid more, who should get promoted. And we just need to make sure that we're not doing any illegal discrimination. And examples of illegal discrimination would be veteran status, sex, weight, age, disability, race, religion, genetic information, marital status, gender, misdemeanor arrest record, national origin, you know, height. So we want to make sure that we're not taking any adverse action based on any protected class. And in this day and age, it's rare to, for an employer to say you're terminated solely because of your race or your sex. That's a rare thing. So how plaintiff attorneys are proving their case is through data and analytics. They're saying, look, Ever since you became boss, the last four people you fired were all women, and the last five hires you had were all men or all this particular race and not that race. And through data, uh, plaintiff attorneys can prove discrimination and receive millions of dollars because unconscious discrimination, even if unintentional, is just as illegal as intentional discrimination. And by analyzing the data, we can make sure that our neutral policies and people that we have making decisions are not having any disparate impact on the population or the diversity of our workforce. Now, you had mentioned earlier about information that's discoverable um, if there is a claim that's made. Is there, I guess, uh, a rule of thumb how to keep information not being discoverable through their relationship with counsel? That is a great question, and the answer is yes. The main benefit of having an employment attorney is that you have what's called the attorney-client privilege. So if you ever were to call me or email me or we were to exchange emails back and forth, all of that communication would be privileged from discovery. But if you were to just email internally uh, or email someone that was not an attorney that, you know, Joe engaged in discrimination. Now you have an admission 
of illegal activity by a representative of the company that would be discoverable and submitted as Exhibit A to a jury. So we want to be very careful, especially as a business owner, manager, or HR, that we never make legal conclusions. You know, we are not a judge. You shouldn't be saying your own company engaged in retaliation, harassment, discrimination, because it has an implication that it was unlawful retaliation, harassment, discrimination. So I would only recommend when you're documenting, just stick to the seven W's. And the seven W's, I go back to third grade where I learned how to write a story. And the five W's are who, what, where, when, why of how to tell a story. And then the two other W's I added with the lawyer in me is one, witnesses. I had my daughter was in school the other day and a boy put a sticky note on someone's back that said, kick me. And the teacher said, Henry, was that you that put the kick me note on somebody? And he goes, before I answer the question, uh, were there any witnesses? So uh, it's very important. Uh, he said, she said, who observed that activity? And, the, and lastly, the seventh W that probably is the most important one is want. What does that employee want? If that employee wants to stand up at their desk to help their back, do I really need to do a full investigation to see if there's disability discrimination because they have a chair? No, I'll just let them stand up. You know, if they want their boss or someone to get training to make sure they know how to spot issues and communicate better, I don't need to prove whether or not someone engaged in discrimination. We can just offer resources and, and provide training. So I think the seven W's is probably a very important takeaway um, from today's presentation. And, and one of the other things I'd like to add to that is that's why it's very important to have a professional as, as, as you know, one of the things we do is that we always, we put in our welcome kit, we are HR professionals. We are not employment attorneys. And so as James stated earlier, that's why it's important to have an employment attorney there either on retainer or have an existing relationship with them before a problem exists. Because the moment that you start thinking about a problem existing and there's emails going back and forth between individuals, do know those emails are discoverable. By, but by simply adding that existing relationship with that employment attorney like James to that email, now those emails are confidential and they're not, they're outside of discovery because it's now attorney-client privilege. And so, you know, again, I can't stress it enough, it's very important to have these relationships prior to having any other, you know, issues there with an employee or anything of that nature because he can advise you. It may be something that, you know, you basically ask and answer to your own self without any assistance or anything from James. But just in case that you, you, you're not sure, it's good to have him involved or have someone like him involved in the process. Your business attorney cannot provide you with this insightful information when it comes to employment law because they're accustomed to, you know, for the most part, you being innocent and the other party having to prove your guilt. And when it comes to employment law, it is just the opposite. You 
really have to provide and, and prove your innocence because you're going to be basically be assumed guilty. And so having someone like James on board is invaluable to your business. And as he stated earlier, it's cheaper to do it now than before a claim ever comes into existence. James, you had mentioned something earlier about one of the airlines and how much they actually lost for, and, and by it being in the news. But when an employer actually does encounter a, you know, where they've been fined, that also takes effect, you know, where there's a public notice out. How have you seen that affect employers and their ability to actually recruit or even with their customer base? Oh, so two things. One, uh, if, if anyone wanted to start a attorney relationship, there's no cost to it. It's free. It would just be an engagement letter that I would sign to say, if you ever called, this is how the arrangement would work and there'd be zero cost involved. But on the uh, social media and fine and damage side, uh, Felicia is completely right. Uh, companies now have more technology and data available to them and so do employees. So when employees are looking to get a job somewhere, the first thing they do is Google it. And the Google will likely show if they've been fined by a public agency, they go to Glassdoor and see all the employees that say all the rumors and negative things about the company. They go on Indeed and they do their own due diligence. Just how companies go on Facebook and LinkedIn to learn things. Well, employees, you know, also search on websites and you can, if you find out that your company has been fined by ICE, you know, immigration or for discrimination, not only is it harder to recruit employees, but if you ever get sued again or have another claim, all of these agencies are already going to assume you're guilty and the fines increase when there is a second round of violations. So I think that given if you were had one of these problems, it's more important than ever to have a commitment to diversity at your company. I wouldn't want a single individual making all the decisions. I'd rather have a panel, hopefully a diverse panel that helps run the company and make certain decisions. So it doesn't appear that someone has an unconscious bias and it's potentially violating a law or discriminating against someone. Right. Right. So now we, we're down to the last uh, 15 minutes or so of our program. Is there any other advice that you would give to business owners? Yeah, I would say I want to learn. I would want to learn from the data. So the data of 2018 shows for the first time ever in 50 years, sexual discrimination claims were the highest filed claims ever. So what that shows to me is two things. One employees are more comfortable in speaking out about sex discrimination. And two, there is a lot of sexual activity in the workplace. Um, 57% of employees are engaging in sexual relationships with a coworker. 19% of company, people at companies are having an affair at work. So given all of this sex discrimination and all these facts and stats coming out, we need to be extra careful to make sure that the executives are not creating any perception of bias and favoritism with their employees. Likewise, 
if you're, you're going to the same church or playing in all the same poker games, if you have this bias where it looks like you're buddy, buddy, or in a relationship, we need to create a perception. Cause in my eyes, perception is reality that we're, we're treating all employees based on work performance and not favoring them based on what they do outside of work. And I think that yeah. the takeaways, go ahead. No, go right ahead. I, I will, uh, I ask after you're good so done. I, I think the takeaways are if you talk to an HR consultant or an employment lawyer, they, we can go over all of the data and identify policies and procedures that you could have in place, such as if you were in a senior subordinate role, you're required to report any relationship to so-and-so to make sure that when you're having an evaluation or a pay raise, the non-work-related stuff is not factored in. So we need to be updating our policies, being proactive. We need to remind employees what our policies are. As Felicia said, many people don't read the handbook. Right now, marijuana is illegal under federal law, but legal under state law. So when, when someone reads the handbook and says, don't do illegal drugs, well, is marijuana legal or illegal? It depends on, you know, which law you're looking at. So I think we want to have a more clear marijuana policy. Are we even doing drug testing? There could be a lot of qualified applicants that have medical marijuana, you know, on the weekends and are fully functional adults at work. Do we want to ban them from applying at your job? So I think a lot of these trends and stats are very helpful to analyze to be ahead of the competition. Do you want to know what perks other companies are giving to attract and motivate and retain employees. You probably do so that you can also do similar things and have other perks that are maybe not offered by the competition. Is there, and, you actually you know, um, had alluded to the, the relationships um, there that exist um, there within some workplaces. What are your sentiments on um, actually, I guess, someone actually signing off on that this is a consensual relationship between the two? I think that even if someone were to sign this is a consensual relationship between the two, I've still seen issues where two years later they end up breaking up, and now that subordinate says, in hindsight, I don't think that was really consensual two years ago. I uh, just felt pressured to do that to keep my job, and now I want to sue anyway. So the signing of the document is not a slam-dunk defense for a executive to be essentially having a relationship with a subordinate. You know, another concern I'm seeing is that emojis. Have, you, have anyone ever texted somebody a, a wink or that salivating tongue? You know, are these various flirtations, or is it just a a way of talking without being over the top and sexually harassing somebody. It's hard for us to interpret, but if a CEO is sending that stuff to a subordinate, it's hard to explain in front of a jury trial. So obviously the safest thing to do would be to have a policy where managers cannot have a relationship with subordinates. Would that be safe or would that, I guess the safest way, or would that in this day and time, even would that manager feel like, they're being discriminated against if others, coworker to coworker, can have relationships, but management is excluded. You know, would that bring out an issue? There's no legally protected discrimination claim if you only have the rule apply to managers. So you are allowed to do that. I, I think that 
if you were going to allow executives to have relationships with subordinates, you'd want to at least make sure that that manager is not involved in the evaluation process. You would have a different board or panel of people that have nothing to do with that relationship evaluate based on solely work performance. Because my concern is even if there's only fair treatment to the senior subordinate relationship, other people that are not part of that relationship are going to presume that they're being treated lesser because they're not sleeping with the boss. And we want, we do not want to create a perception that you have to sleep with the boss in order to get promoted and make it in life. Another concern I'm having is I see a, a bunch of lower level employees that are in relationships and exchanging pictures on Snapchat. And eventually one of them get promoted. And when one of them get promoted, that's when it comes out how bad that person was by, you know, exposing themselves or sending pictures to people and, Maybe now for them to manage the subordinates that they've had all these relationships with is not the best idea. So I think if you want to be a manager, you have to wear the management hat and not essentially be sleeping with the staff. And if you are, I think it's unfair to the other executives to have someone that is exposing the company to liability. So I, I have at times prepared an indemnity agreement where uh, that executive will indemnify the other owners of the company if there's a lawsuit for sexual harassment based on their conduct, because it's not their fault that that employee can't behave themselves at work. Wow. Now, you had an unjust-taxed Saturday. Obviously, I am a Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business alum, and I had the opportunity on this past Saturday um, to actually talk to an incoming class. And one of the individuals have mentioned that they had $90,000 were embezzled uh, from them by an employee. And we ended up talking about the employer uh, employee monitoring system. Are there any legal uh, repercussions or anything of that nature when it comes to the employee monitoring system, which most organizations have? Um, what things should they actually put in their policies and procedures to give them coverage? Yeah, I, I draft video and audio surveillance policies all the time, and I would want to make it extra clear that employees should not have any expectation of privacy, you know, anywhere on the premises other than a private bathroom. So essentially, they their keystrokes on their computer could be monitored or whatever is going on online can be monitored. And in addition, we can video and audio surveillance them in the workplace for, you know, security or, or other purposes. I would want to make that very clear in the handbook that uh, they're not waiving any, any of their rights to privacy. But two, I would also want to say on behalf of the company, the company is not representing their uh, a police force and are going to audit every single email and communication message because some employees claim if the company can audit it, they should be aware about the discrimination going on in the workplace from their surveillance. So I would still require employees to report discrimination or illegal activity and not require the employer just to audit their own surveillance. Great. That's true. That's so very true. And it's so very important um, in this day and time because sometimes we really don't know the individuals that are, you know, we're working 
with or that we've hired. And so making sure that ultimately we protect the business with everything or whatever, you know, things that are out there for us to do it. We're down to the last few minutes. And so, James, um, I want you to give the, our audience your information again if they want to engage in a relationship with you like I have with you because I've, I've worked with mm -hmm. you um, there in the past. And so, and, and how they can go about contacting you. You do a lot of different speaking engagements all over the place and things like that. How can they, I guess, establish a relationship with you and your firm? Sure. So I do a lot of legal updates for free, both through drafting articles and through webinars and live seminars. And if you want to be on that list to see what's going on uh, over the course of the next year, you can email me at j-r-e-i-d at m-a-d-d-i-n-h-a-u-s-e-r.com. That's jreed at maddenhauser.com. And you can call me anytime. Uh, the first phone call is always free. 248-351-7060 is my work line. And uh, I, I check that you know, pretty much 24-7. And I also make my cell phone available. So if you want to send me a text at 734-649-1313 is another way to reach me. And I'm happy to answer any questions and be a resource. Uh, part of my role as the uh, Society of Human Resource Management incoming director-elect is to be a resource and, and guide people on the latest trends. And part of the benefit of having so many clients that I work with is I'm able to see all of the trends and know various ways to accomplish goals. That is so very important. And again, James gave us a lot of insightful information today, especially for those that are in, in the state of Michigan. Um, earlier, James touched on the importance of training and utilizing training as a way to protect yourself as an employer and building out um, a training plan for employees throughout their, their work you know, life there with you, life cycle with you. And in the state of Michigan right now, we're just entering into the GoPro Talent Development Fund season. Applications actually, uh, I get access to it on Monday, but I think they come out for everyone else starting on tomorrow, September 12th. And so the application period is only open for a couple of weeks, so I'm not sure if you're able to actually turn and get everything in and around um, that quickly or shortly uh, within that time frame to get access to the application. I will be at the MMSCC again this coming Monday providing on how to actually complete the application process on there, but definitely take advantage of that. As James stated earlier, it is a way to help protect you as an employer. And so there is another added feature um, to actually accessing these funds. Again, the fund is $1,500 per employee. $3,000 per employee if you're establishing an apprenticeship program. Um, I thank you guys again so very much for joining us uh, this morning here for to discuss HR analytics from an HR perspective, excuse me, from a legal perspective and HR for, so for, that, for that side of it. But thank you so much again, James, for sharing all of your wisdom because you are a true professional here uh, in the HR world and employment law world, and you have so much information that you're able to provide to our listeners and to anyone 
that need any type of employment law assistance. All of the show thank, notes thank you will for be the provided. Yes. All of the show notes will be provided as usual. Um, again, the recording for this program will go up as soon as it closes off, probably within the next five minutes. All of Jane's information will be provided inside of those show minutes there for you. And so you will be able to access all of that. Again, I highly encourage you to reach out to James and to his firm if you have any other business issues. As he stated, they also cover any type of tax law uh, things that you may have going on. And so definitely reach out to him and give his firm a chance and give him take advantage of that free consultation. Again, thank you so very much for joining us on the Owner to Owner podcast.